0: Welcome to the HAT Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the HAT Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Hat Soil Health Podcast, and this month we're doing it from the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo uh, here on site at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, and we just had a great presentation on our seminar stage about cover crop management, and we brought them over here to do a quick podcast as well uh, to talk about some of these things that they've been doing for a long time. We also have a new, relatively new conservationist on our hands as well, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those Uh, challenges and some of the advantages to doing that on this week's podcast Uh, joining me let's go around the horn here and i'm gonna let everyone introduce themselves even though you may have heard this name before on the soil health podcast stephanie McLean, she's the nrcs soil health specialist stephanie go ahead and introduce yourself here
1: I think you actually did a really good job and I appreciate that. But again, my name is Stephanie McLean. Uh, I work for the Natural Resources Conservation Service here in Indiana and I'm the soil health specialist and I have the great honor of working with everyone around this table on a regular basis.
0: And we do have a sponsor of this podcast. They've been with us since the beginning of this and really trying to put forward uh, some of these soil health practices and make them more widely known. And today we have Joe Rorick who is with the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Their conservation agronomist, Joe. Hello. Thank you for being here. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Joe Rourke. I'm the agronomist for the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Very good. And and from Greensburg, Kevin Horstman is here. And Kevin, you were just uh, one of the farmers up here, uh, giving our presentation, doing the seminar for us. And you're you're the one that's a little bit new to all of this, right?
2: Yeah. I'm I'm the rookie of the of the crew here. So
0: yeah. Well, very very glad to have you along here. And uh, uh, Nick Winning is here as well. Nick, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Nick Winning from
3: Decatur County,
0: and we've been cover cropping for a long time. Very good. And Roger, Roger Winning is here as well. Roger, please go ahead. I'm
4: Roger Winning, also Greensburg. Nick's dad. We farm, work together on stuff. And uh, just I've been at this too long. I'm glad to see young guys getting in here and Starting to take over some of this, so I can back off a little
0: very good and and Nick, it has to feel good that he did claim you just then and say he he was your dad that that 's got to feel pretty good, right that's- yeah, it depends on who's listening, but <laughs> yes, I <laughs> normally will take that as a good thing very good well roger i want I want to start with you because you have been at this for a long time, and you mentioned during the seminar that you were putting some of these practices in place. Before you even knew that it was, you know, this buzzword, soil health or sustainable, it was just kind of, it made sense to you, so you started doing it, and then people came along and said, hey, that's a conservation practice, right?
4: Yeah, well, that's basically it. Probably late 70s, early 80s, I started noticing, I farmed some hilly ground, and this soil's leaving, and we don't have very much. I mean, it's pretty, you know, shallow. So I began just putting some wheat up and down the little Valleys, putting I contoured around my hills about every 50 feet, and hey, that's keeping my soil here. I need that. And one time I started noticing, well, in those strips, the soil farmed different. And I'm like, huh, what is this deal? So just from there, it continued to grow, and uh, it was hard to find somebody to talk to about it, though. So I was kind of just, you know, shooting in the dark on my own. We still thought we needed tillage, but we kept reducing that, and especially on the hills, and things kept getting better. So I guess it just went from there as, all right, I have to learn this. And there was nobody really to talk to, and we didn't call it that. It wasn't a cover crop. We didn't have soil health. We just put something out there.
0: It it just made sense. Right. Yeah,
4: it did. It was making me money i was
0: because
4: 1983 i was flat broke and with anybody that survived the 80s will understand that anybody my age would understand that i didn't have a choice so from there it just i guess the rest is history as they'd say
0: now now that we've gotten to this point you know sustainability is a, a huge buzzword soil health practices uh, and and Nick, for for you, uh, a lot of these things that your dad did, and now you are continuing on. Now he's kind of the guy to go talk to. There, there's that resource, plus a ton of others at this point, right?
3: Yes. So there's a lot of people coming into this, and you know, a lot of people smarter than I am. I mean, they just they know so much, and they've studied and learned and. I love having those resources to bounce ideas. And, you know, because I have new ideas being younger generation, we always come up with crazy thoughts. And he lets me run with some of them, actually. That's awful nice of him, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, again this is the hat soil health podcast and it's presented by the conservation cropping systems initiative of indiana and you can find more about their programs and their mission at ccsin.org and and stephanie i want to come to you you know uh, so so roger mentioned that you know he started doing this a long time ago and it was because it made sense to do and and that's still the case people are just maybe drifting away from from some of these practices a bit more but in indiana many are starting to kind of come back that way, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, think, I think the idea of having things make sense, uh, people have to really step back and critically look at their farming operations and, and what's the most important aspect of our farming operation, our soil. And so, again, when it comes right down to it, uh, soil erosion and stopping soil erosion and keeping our soil there is one of the first things that every farmer will tell you, they care about because the soil makes or breaks their farm. Without soil, we, we don't have farms. And so um, so again, with farmers like Roger and, uh, and all the other farmers across Indiana that are doing that, what really helps is their willingness to talk to other farmers who are, who are saying, I want to try something different, but I don't know how to get started. And, and then people like Roger and Nick and Kevin say, well, try taking out tillage passes in the fall. Try adding cover crops look at building that system so that soil stays there so we start increasing that biological activity in the soil and we start getting we start getting functioning to come back by and by function i mean water infiltration nutrient cycling um, physical stability and support right not running up the combine or not rutting up the field in, at harvest time having that soil being able to support you these are soil functions that we take for granted until we don't have them and so again we're seeing every year as weather conditions get, make it harder and harder to farm, we start looking at a soil function and knowing that we need to have that so that we can so that we can farm successfully.
0: So now we're talking about some of the resources available as this all makes sense. We've, we've talked about farmer resources, other farmers who have done it like Roger. We now have NRCS here at the table. And then we have folks like the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative as, as well. Uh, a tremendous resource for a lot of people looking to get into this field and I imagine that this past year had to have been a little busy from that front, with all of the prevent plant acres out there. We had a lot of folks saying, "Well, you know, I've heard about this cover crop thing. Let me throw it all out here." They they probably needed a little bit of direction and maybe reached out to you folks, right, Joe?
5: They did, yes. And uh, and with with planting that stretched from April to July this year, it was it was a little difficult. It was it was a busy summer. Um, and now what we're really trying to get folks to understand, like Stephanie said, was was thinking critically about their farming operations. And especially if they do have a cover crop out there for the first time, so this winter coming up with a plan or a, a couple of plans and a couple of backup plans then for what they're gonna do with that cover crop this spring. So good termination plans, going through their planters, making sure they're ready to plant into into these cover crops
0: now kevin i want to come to you here because we we talked about uh a lot of these folks starting new and this was you just not too long ago right you 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 came and you worked with the winnings and and started uh doing some work for them and and to you also it made sense right and but maybe you had a little bit of resistance from some of the other folks you farmed with
2: uh yeah with the uh wiser generation, we'll call it uh <laughs> you know the that's how it was always done that's you know that's what you hear this is how it's always done um we are kind of running into a little bit of a labor issue at the farm so this was kind of a transition we were going to make and we went from being efficient with six guys down to three uh planting now i I mean that was that was a big big help to show them that way not to mention now when we're out digging in our own dirt what they've noticed and how much easier it is and, and um without really seeing a yield drag, you know, it's, it's kind of solidified what we're doing and, and helped kind of open some eyes, I guess I should say.
0: Talk about some of those conversations that had to, had to take place and how you, you begin some of that and, and really start to take these things that make sense to you and how you explain it to other people that you hope that it makes sense to them after you've had that conversation.
2: Um, very very fortunate for uh, my in-laws to allow me to farm but the biggest thing was starting out small we didn't do every acre right off the bat it was hey let's try this Um, they give me one field to try in Uh, we would we'd try it with all the technology today we can map and see where are we gaining, where are we losing, what do we need help on? And uh, it's just slowly, all right, I'm going to give you a couple more hectares, try it on. Here's a few more. Here's a few more Till we finally put the whole system's approach in it, and now it's, you know, picking Roger and Nick's brain on do we do mixes, what are you spraying with, how are you doing this, how's your planter set up. Um, you know, just, just have an open communication between all the farmers and everything that it's, you know, just, just try a little bit at a time. Don't, don't go all in right off the bat. Would be my suggestion.
0: Yeah. Again, this is the Hat Soil Health Podcast. It's presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative of Indiana. Uh, Roger Nick, let's let's come back to you here and let's talk about some of these practices, some of the things that you've been doing for the past. Oh goodness 20 plus 30 plus years now uh what have you found to be most successful as far as let's talk about cover crops specifically some of the things that you're finding in that uh area that that's really helping you in your operation and be profitable with it too okay are you talking in certain varieties
1: absolutely yeah
4: well i went through a lot of varieties Early on, back in the 90s, I heard about annual ryegrass. I read about and I thought, you know, this might have some promise. I was also given all the horror stories, told don't do it. But I saw too many benefits. I thought, I'm going to put a little bit out. I've never had a big issue with it myself. You know, we've had a few learning experiences. Uh, it was always over to overcome them, but we took our time. I'm not afraid to call somebody and ask questions. There weren't very many, but I had met a couple people, growers in Oregon, and I knew a couple guys that had some experience that I could call on. What I found, I used, I mean, I've tried almost everything out there, and we're still trying a lot of different things. My go-to for a few years now has been annual ryegrass, crimson clover, I started radish, I've kind of converted to rape, uh, I use some cereal rye. It has places too, uh, but I give an awful lot of credit because of the soils that I farm are very tight with a very, very restrictive layer. We've got plow pans and layers, but about two to two and a half feet deep, we have a layer that nothing will penetrate until I tried annual Ryegrass those roots will grow through concrete Uh, they penetrated that got roots down in deep enough that other roots could follow my crops could follow i had a couple spots in fields that were so compacted over past years and tried every piece of steel i could find to lift to break to rip it was about maybe a half acre area that was hold six inches of water almost year-round you could drive right through it it was hard as a road I pulled every piece of steel pile under it, but it just sealed over I finally gave up on it about 25 years ago said I'm done we're just gonna let them spots and forget them but they were no-tilled and cover cropped with the ryegrass at that point and had been for years and about five years ago I looked over and I said Where in the heck did those wet spots go? You can't find them on a yield map today. When we quit putting steel in, we started using the living roots. It's lifted that up. The pockets are gone. That soil was that compacted. Mm -hmm. But over time, with these roots and this, has lifted that soil back up level. Those spots, you can't find them in the field if you didn't know where they're at. I bet Kevin's been in all my fields. I bet you he couldn't tell you where they're at. So... You know, it's that I guess people talk aha moments, but finally, when I noticed that, I thought, wow. So, we are continuously trying other things things that can grow us more nitrogen, different varieties of clovers. Because if you stop and say, hey, that's the best thing, I'm doing the best I can, I'm doing the best I can today, but I guarantee you there's something better next year. And if you don't try and find out what it is, you're going to be behind everybody else real fast. So we continually try things. We're just, you know, I'm doing, I hopefully I'm doing the best I can today.
1: I think Roger really uh, kind of hit the nail on the head with that thing on the end, just trying to do the best you can today and, and adapting and changing for next year because Mother Nature and our cropping systems and our weather systems they don't they're not stagnant they're constantly changing and adapting and so the biggest thing that our farmers that are talking about here today is being adaptable looking at the landscape looking at the weather knowing what's going on and then adapting their plan to to meet their needs at that point in time and that means yeah you got to you got to give and take and find out what's best and then also constantly trying to find out Find out something new or find the new things that are working on your operation. And that is what makes you successful, is that willingness to adapt to situations, to current weather situations or other other situations.
5: You guys rely pretty heavily, and you work a lot, with tile drainage. So what do you see with your cover crops and how they interact with your tile drainage? And do they make your tile drainage work better? Do you find that the roots get in there and plug them up? Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: So yeah, Joe, we can talk a little about that. Um, I think there's a symbiotic relationship there with tile drainage and no-till and cover crops and just the entire living soil that we have. So it, it all helps each other. Obviously, you've got to have some drainage to get the water out of your fields, that they're not saturated, to help cover crops and everything else grow your regular crops but also I look at the microbial activity in the soil I think that's a big thing today is having living organisms in there and most of the good ones you have to have oxygen in your soil for them to live so it's just
5: it's a whole relationship with with all of it do you find that the roots get in there and plug your tiles up you guys have to go out and fix a lot we have
3: no problems with roots on our farm. We've, we have everything pattern-drained. We have actually had part of it in CRP ground for 10 years with the native grasses. We were worried when we brought it back into production. We dug holes and found the tile and looked in them. They are as perfect as the day we installed them.
0: And this is the Hat Soil Health Podcast. And I'm here with Stephanie McClain, Joe Rorick, uh, Kevin Horseman, Nick Winning, and Roger Winning. And this is uh, the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. And and I want to go back a little bit. We were talking about cover crops, and, and a lot of your uh, seminar uh, today was talking about planting green. You talked about planting green, and, and many folks know what that is. But, but uh, Nick, Roger, one of you, go ahead and, and tell me. One, what is it to plant green so that folks that don't know and aren't familiar know what that is? And two, why it is you like doing it so much, what the benefits of doing that are?
4: Well, planting green is exactly what it says. Our cover crops are green when we plant. We don't spray them possibly a day or two ahead, if it depends on conditions, but most of the time we don't spray until after the planter. Our first. We're going to try a little bit of rolling next year. I got a little roller. I'm not sure that's, but uh, it's being done. So that's just something, as we talked earlier about, you got to keep looking for that new trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to play with it, but you do that. Uh, the big advantage one, we're keeping food to our microorganisms. Uh, we're growing those cover crop roots till the last minute possible. We're getting more benefit out of our cover crops. Why kill it a month ahead of planting and now you've lost a month of growth, a month of health in your soil? Uh, it just didn't make sense. Planting into it, we've got equipment, we actually keep taking stuff off of our planter. As this soil becomes healthier, more mellow because of this, we keep taking all those extra pieces off. Uh, we got one left that we may pull off yet. The no-tail cutter, we're still running, but we're right on the edge of taking that off now and just go plant because we're not moving any soil. We're getting great uh, stands. Crops are taking right off, really doing well. It all goes, but it takes time. Your first year's in, you know, it's not going to work quite as good yet for Calvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to start, you got to make it go. As he mentioned earlier, they didn't see any yield drag. I'm going to say the exact same thing. When I switched to no-till and with the cover crops, everybody keeps warning yield drags and it's oh, going to take. No, there's no yield drag. But you're not going to see as much benefit that first year as you will the second year or the third or the fourth. We didn't kill this soil in one or two years. It's going to take a little while to heal it. But as I mentioned earlier, what we did to some of those tough spots in the field is just unbelievable.
0: And, And you and I discussed this a little bit earlier. So this year was kind of horrendous for farmers across the state. 2019 was wet. It was kind of terrible. But it may have been a a bit of a blessing in disguise for some who were forced to plant green because they couldn't get out there in time. And now they've decided, heck, I'm going to do this every year, right?
4: Yes, I had several calls. And that points to one other thing I want to make sure people know. If you're going to do this, please call someone with experience before you go make a mistake. We're glad to talk to you and help. I wore a Bluetooth headset all spring because I was getting all those phone calls and the ones that called me called later in the summer and said thank you. It worked. I'm doing it next year. Uh, They were forced into it, but I recommend everybody please call someone for help uh, if you need you know because there is knowledge out here and it's a whole lot easier to do it right the first time you're more likely to continue.
1: I just wanted to add something to what Roger said. I was thinking about how you know one of the other benefits that comes from planting green and looking at those pictures you were showing during the presentation was that biomass on the surface of the soil it laid down so nicely. It covered the that entire field and there was probably two things that you had a big benefit from that. One, weed germination and growth, right? So having that biomass layer over the surface reduced the amount of weeds that grew. They had to work a lot harder to grow. So when you did come through and spray them with an herbicide, they were weaker and you were able to terminate them. So that biomass is a a great benefit for slowing down or minimizing weed growth. Um, And then two, soil temperatures. Um, plant roots like the same temperatures as what we do, 70 degrees or so. And when we have bare soils in the, in the heat of summer, you can see soil temperatures 2 to 4 inches down of 90 to 100 to 120 degrees. And when you have that nice mat of biomass there, those soil temperatures probably hover in the 70 to 80 degree mark, which in August ensures successful pollination ensures that that plant continues to grow instead of shutting down because it's so hot that it can't work anymore and it's just cooling itself. So I think there's great other reasons that uh, that really make a big difference that why you start to see success of having that cover crop there and being green and as tall as possible when you plant into it. So I I just wanted to point that out because I think that's a really cool aspect of it.
4: Well I know what the mulching is. I was a young guy. Nick had never seen my mother plant a garden without mulching. Once the plants came up she mulched and probably one of the most beautiful gardens anywhere in the county and but she was a mulcher so I grew up seeing the mulch effect.
1: Keeping that surface covered, keeping the temperatures down and as those residues decompose releasing nutrients for that crop. And those shallow roots, those corn roots that are right, you know, two inches under the soil, those nutrients are breaking down and going right to that plant.
0: Kevin, I, I want to come back to you here because you were a little hesitant. You, you've you've pulled, you know, a, a lot of these practices into, into practice yourself, but you were maybe a little hesitant about planting green, and that changed here recently, right? What is it that you saw uh, that you thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this?
2: There again, we, we're... We're planning labor heavy right now uh, on our farm, but I guess I'm looking here in the next future or the coming up years that we're gonna be we're gonna be a little shy till some of the some of the younger ones get a little bit old enough. But um, the big advantage was, like I said, we we've saved money on labor. Um, we were this year, you know how this year went. We were two three days out ahead of guys that were doing tillage I mean we were we weren't ideal conditions, but we were ideal enough for this year, uh, if that makes sense but we're out we're out ahead of them we're staying up on top of the ground we ain't tearing it up um, you know um, it's just yeah, without the yield drag without the labor force i um, mean we're just we're putting more money in our pocket, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the year is you know are we going to... We're gonna have enough money to farm next year, and uh, this, this, these new practices with with these guys' help um, has just been been a big, big, big help to our, our uh, checkbook at the end of the year.
0: And this is the Hat Soil Health Podcast. It's presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, and I think we've been bearing the lead here long enough now. Let's let's talk about some of those finances because that is what it's all about, right? At the end of the day. Uh, yes, we want to be conservationists and we want to be able to do uh, the the good things for the future of, of the soil and the future generations that will be farming it, uh, but it's a lot easier to be a conservationist when uh, prices are higher, when yields are higher, right? So so talk to me a little bit about what, uh, you know, you mentioned yield drag's not an issue, but you, you're able to take some of these input costs, reduce those, and, and really be able to watch what, what you're putting in, what you're getting out, and you guys are doing well i mean it's it's not like this is costing you a boatload of money here to to put in all of these conservation practices it might be tough at first but you're coming out okay right roger yeah i mean we're
4: uh have always saved money i'm not big economist to where i'm tackling every dollar and cent on things but we kind of look at the overview uh I was asked one time years ago, why are you doing this? I said I keep paying more taxes every year, uh, meaning my income's increasing. So it's, you know, you look at things, but if you save those tillage passes, I think Kevin told me first year when they no-tilled, you save $3,000 in fuel. Just fuel. I mean, those are just right now real dollars. That you keep in your pocket. You're not buying those tractors and stuff. I run a nice planer now. I've got a nice sprayer. That's a critical machine. Uh, but I don't need all this other equipment. I don't need all that labor. We have always been worked with other things to do. Uh, you know these yellow toys that we got in our excavating are more fun to operate and make me more money than. All this other stuff does on our personal level. Okay, you're going to put a cover crop. Oh, man, the chemical costs are going to eat you. We use less chemicals since we've gone to cover crops. A lot to do with what Stephanie just said. That plus the fact that you run the right cover crops, they actually have effects to knock weeds back, to help us with weeds. Uh, With these water hams, with the Palmer. We are keeping those under control. I've had, we don't have much mare's tail issue on my farm, except one year where I had wheat, didn't want the ryegrass flown next to it, so I had the airplane stay back. I drilled rye next to the wheat. I missed a strip, we didn't get covered. The next summer, spraying soybeans was unbelievable. Ryegrass on one side, cereal rye on the other side, no mare's tail. That spot down the center, Cost me an extra $20 in spray because of the mare's tail. Mm-hmm. I had to add to my post spray. So, okay, now what happened to that extra cost? But so, really, uh, nutrients, we're growing legumes ahead of the corn, getting us some nitrogen. Uh, I can't say as I've reduced my fertilizer cost in the last 25 years. It has not increased. My use of fertilizer is the same, but my yields have doubled. So I count that as more money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So really, you start talking to me about the extra money doing this stuff, and you're going to have
5: somebody give you a lot of arguments.
0: Joe, do you have any other questions you wanted to ask? I know you said you had some questions. Let's go for it.
5: You guys talk a lot about the wildlife benefits. That you see with your cover crops um, can you talk a little bit about do you see any issues in your crop because of the what because of the increased wildlife
3: so our ground we have a lot of wooded edges so the wildlife is going to be there regardless I personally like to eat wildlife so I like to go out in our fields and provide for them in the winter time so I can harvest them and have the food from them. So, an increase in wildlife, no, I don't believe so. But yes, we do have wildlife issues. But the, yes, the health of the wildlife is definitely increased. We're seeing larger deer antlers, You know, better herd health just because they have a nutritious and good food source through the winter.
5: Kevin, now that you're a couple years into this, what are some things that you go out and look for to know you're on the right track? Uh, Root depth is the biggest thing. We've had
2: plenty of years of compaction. I mean, when we first started, even digging seed, was kind of a chore now you know we're going out with little flower shovels and digging in between rows it's there's no there's a little bit of effort i shouldn't say no effort um you know then you then you get into the spade to go just a little bit deeper to see where our roots are going um our compaction is uh, I, I wouldn't say has completely gone away but uh, we're we're starting at the top and working our way down it's easier easier to dig um you know, you, we were talking about wildlife on top, uh, we got a guy down around home, he said we're all livestock farmers because we're feeding worms. You ought to see the worms in our soil, I mean, they're huge, they're, and they're all over the place. Um, you know, that wildlife benefit, not only are we feeding them, they're helping us, you know, they're making tunnels for roots to go through, so, um, yeah, to, to add on to the wildlife, we're taking care of them, they're taking care of us. Uh, but
5: yeah, just, just getting out and digging is the, is the big thing. For all of you guys, what are some things that, that folks can do to, what are some steps that they can take to get into this more?
3: So, my opinion, first step is you have to make sure you have a planter that is capable of doing no-till. I mean, if you do not have the right equipment for the job, you will fail. So, with that being said, that is my first step. And then you got to
4: go in, you know, with a good plan, have a, you know, because we are relying on for the weed kill and everything to make sure, have a plan for which cover crop you have, because it takes different management, different termination practices, uh... So as Nick said, get your equipment right, get a plan together to use it.
2: I, yeah, I can't agree anymore with both Roger and Nick. Uh, we we put a little bit of money into into our older planer. Um, there again, sitting down with these guys, helping us out with, you know, we need to be fixing more nitrogen. We need something to get down there and bust that soil because you know we're we're not in it for very long. So you know the way. The way everything is now we wanted it done yesterday so um, you know we're kind of ramping up our mix to try to get a little more more and more to get to where they're at after 25 years in a six-year period so uh, yeah having a plan's the biggest thing
1: and
0: that plan a lot of that uh, again we talked about resources early on in the podcast here talk with a farmer who's done it like roger talk with uh, an organization that wants to help you with this like the conservation cropping systems initiative and utilize some of the resources available through uh, USDA and and NRCS. Uh, All of these things are available for you to use, and, Joe, I'll let you wrap up on that, because there. go ahead, Roger, you you wanted to talk about this. Well, I just want to add what you're saying about this.
4: What's got me, I think, so excited today with this is what's taken me 25 and 30 years to do to some of my soil because of the knowledge I'm hoping to do the same thing on Kevin's farm in five years from now, to see his farm about where my farm is. What took me that, we now have, with all of the knowledge, all of these people, with Joe and Stephanie and other farmers doing it, uh, and we're doing a test on a farm I just rented working with Stephanie, we're going to find out if we can do this in five years. That's what's got me excited. We can move this so much faster now with the knowledge we have.
0: And Joe, I'll just let you wrap up on that, that the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, again, the sponsor of this podcast, and the whole point is to try to get this information out there so that people can come to you guys and you can help with that plan, right?
5: Yes, we can. And, and we uh, we help a lot with field days, winter meetings, all kinds of things. If, if there isn't one happening in your area and you want that, Stop into your Soil and Water Conservation District office. Stop into your NRCS office. Get a hold of your local extension and tell them you want this. And we'd be happy to help out.
0: Very good. That's the HAT Soil Health Podcast. And again, our thanks to the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. And thanks to all of you for joining us. And thanks for what you do for conservation practices here in Indiana. Thank you very much.